Good morning. Uh, uh, most of you I, of the folks out there I know, but for those that do not know me, I'm John Britting. I'm one of the elders here at Preview Christian Church, and I uh, want to take a moment to introduce my family as well. Over on your right-hand side, uh, in the third row back, is my wife Jennifer. In the second row, um, you have my son Patrick, our youngest daughter Savannah, and our oldest daughter Alyssa there. Uh, there's also an unofficial adopted member of our family, Lexi, who is back in the toddler room helping out there. So you'll see her quite a bit with us. Uh, and we do love her as one of our own uh, from that. But as I was preparing for today's sermon, um, my oldest daughter, Alyssa, reminded me that several of my communion meditations involved stories about the family and that somehow she had evaded being um, one of those subjects of communion meditation. So out of fairness to her, um, I figured I'd open up with actually a family story around her. So a while back, as we're finishing up dinner at the dinner table, uh, the two youngest, Savannah and Patrick, cleaned up the area and they had left and gone off to do other things. Alyssa had hung back and was helping clear the rest of the table. And she took the opportunity to ask Jennifer and I why we raised her differently than her brother and sister. Well, as you can imagine, that was unexpected and a little bit surprising to Jennifer and I. And as I thought through how to respond to that, my first thought was, well, that's just not so. But as I continued to think through it, I I realized she wasn't asking if we loved her any different, just why we raised her differently. So I started down the thought process of, well, each child is different, their personalities are different, and you adjust your parenting style uh, for those kids, each of the kids you have. And as I'm getting ready to answer this, it dawns on me there's actually two sides to that story. So I responded with actually in this fashion. I said, well, Alyssa, you are our first. Mom and I were new parents, and we really didn't know what we were doing. When your brother and sister came along, we had learned quite a bit and were able to do things a little different. I tell you that story to tell you this. Since I've become a Christian, I have taught Sunday school. I have led youth group, I have been a camp counselor, and I led various Bible studies and small groups. But as Joshua pointed out, this is my first official sermon, so I'm sure it will be a learning lesson for all of us. Okay. With that, let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to come to your house, uh, to worship together, uh, through song, through worship, through uh, many th- praises and glory that we can give you. And, Father, may the words that are spoken here uh, not be my words, but be your words that penetrate the hearts and the minds of of the folks that are here today. And may they leave with something more in which they can. In Jesus' name, amen. As been stated, uh, what I'm going to teach on today is from the 1st Samuel chapter 17 and the story of David and Goliath. Now, whether this is the first time you've been in the church or whether you've been in the church most of your life, you are at least familiar with this story. It is a classic underdog story that we always love. We have a young adolescent boy of and David and the fact that he takes on Goliath, a seasoned warrior of substantially more strength and size than which he is. And because of his faith in Christ and his faith in God, that he is able to emerge victoriously uh, against all odds that from a human perspective that we can see. Now, 
from my understanding of that story, unfortunately, that's where most of our understanding stops. And that's okay. That's the main point of that story. That's the main core of the message that is to be given. And there's nothing here that I'm going to say today with regards that changes that point. Um, I want to make that clear. But there are many aspects of that story that I think that we can draw from in terms of helping us in our struggles as we go through and our problems from that. Now, this takes it to a different level in the more detail, but I'm not going to go, if you're a Bible scholar out there, I'm not going to go into the level of, okay, what the meaning of the five stones that David picked up as he went to fight Goliath. But these are mere observations that are mere applications of what we're going to, what this, I believe the story has taught us from there. Okay? And I believe, further believe that there's something in it for everyone here today in this sanctuary. We have the kids that are here from Kid City. Okay? And Joshua and Ben have stressed the fact of having them in here to observe how we worship and to worship together uh, from that. All right? There's another element to that, though. It's important that we teach them that the lessons that we learn in the sanctuary are about the same God and from the same Bible in which we're teaching in Sunday school in Kid City. It's important that they understand that that is the commonality. What they're learning in there is goes with them throughout their lives and from that. And that's the point that I want to make to the kids today as we go through a common story that they, they also are very familiar with. From the youth... Uh, if you were fortunate enough to go through Kid City and go through the curriculum that uh, we went through here the past uh, few years, uh, this should be a reinforcement of things that you already know. But also, for the youth, understand that at this point in his life, David is a teenager. So understand there's things there you can glean from in terms of what, how David responded in his relationship with God in terms of at that point in his life. And there's things that you can take away from that as well. For the adults, you know, I'll start with a caution. And sometimes we get into a habit of um, thinking that certain subject matters in the Bible are for Sunday school or kids city. And that it's maybe several years or we maybe we've never gone back and visited the actual text within the Bible of the stories of which we have learned them. And there's a couple things with that. One is the fact that. You know, we got to be careful we're not sending unintended messages, either either the messages to ourselves or others that may be observing that. If we sit there and we relegate those subject matters and the certain stories of the Bible to Sunday school, we, are we portraying a message that these things aren't really important later in our life? And that's just not the case. The other thing that we need to be cautious of, this, when we have heard messages or sermons on David and Goliath, they're never, normally either a short reference or, in fact, that they're teaching on the concept as opposed to the context that's which is there. And the problem is, once you start teaching on concepts, the farther you get away from the context, you start to lose the fidelity of what the actual context of the true biblical text is. So I caution you on this one there, when you're hearing messages on the concepts or the lessons that are being taught, to go back into the original biblical text and make sure that they're true to what the way that they're intended and God had the authors of the Bible write for us on that. I want to start with some background of the story. As we already talked about, um, I want to start with David. As we already talked about, David at this point in his life is a teenager. Well, how do we know that? Okay. In, in verse 33, Saul states that he's too, David is too young to fight. Okay. Now, taking that, what that means, if you go back to the first chapter of Numbers, to be enlisted in the Israelite 
army, you had to be a minimum of 20 years of age. And that comes back from the, uh, the Numbers chapter 1. So right there, we know that he is less than 20. It puts him at 19 or below, which is a teenager. If you extrapolate his, his uh, family members, he's the one of eight sons of Jesse. So he's got seven older brothers. Three of them are serving in Saul's army from that. So from that, the oldest three are 20 or older. That leaves four between him, between him and 20 years old. So a good estimate, a rough estimate approximation is 15 years old. Again, that's an estimate and not a solid number in the fact that, you know, he's 15. But we can extrapolate back and a reasonable estimate is that he is 15 years old at this point in his life. We know he's a shepherd. It tells us that. Okay. We also know by this point from the previous chapter in 1 Samuel that he's been anointed as king. Be careful with that because a lot of times we think, well, he's anointed, now he's king. No, he was anointed uh, by Samuel under the instructions of God. And look at that as being designated as a future king. Okay, He's not king at this point. Saul is still king. He's designated by God through Samuel to be the future king of Israel from that. And in fact, there are several years that have occurred since before he actually is installed as king. And we also know that he has played the lyre. The a lyre is a small harp-style instrument, so he was musically inclined as well. Now let's take a look at Goliath. As Zach found out this past week, uh, the most common term that we use to describe Goliath is giant. And I have a lot of problems with that term on um, there. And Zach took the blunt of it this week on um, there and, uh, from that. Now the problems I have with that, okay, one, the term giant is not within the biblical text of the story. It is an added descriptor that we use. Okay? If you look up the meaning of giant, a definition of giant, even though it has multiple meanings, the most common one that comes back is, in fact, an imaginary or a mythical being. Okay? Now, you add that to the context in today's culture in which we're most familiar with giants. And those, those are fairy tale stories like Jack and the Beanstalk, or other um, fairy tales that Disney decides to put out. So now we take that term, we take it back into Kid City, and we call Goliath a giant. And I'm concerned that what we're teaching our kids is the fact that they're perceiving things as being fairy tales as opposed to historical events that have happened and that the Bible has recorded. So I, I exercise, we need to exercise extreme cautious and how we teach that and how we perceive that, not only to our kids, but how we're perceiving it as well. The other that you get into, as you start looking through the scriptures that are in text, they use, they use the term champion. He's a champion of the Philistine army. Saul refers to him as a warrior from the Jews. So basically relying, reverting back to his uh, Goliath's experience as a warrior. And then we get into descriptions of his size and strength. And then... And the Bible uses cubits as a measure of length. And what a cubit is, it's measure of the elbow, it's forearm, from the elbow to the tip of the finger. Be careful of that one as well, because as you can imagine, all forearms are not created equal on that. And over the course of time, if you look, different cultures, it meant different things. The Egyptian cubit was not the same as the Hebrew cubit nor a Babylonian. So there was differences in there. And then you throw in the fact that there are small cubits and large cubits and royal cubits. You can get off track in a hurry. Okay? 
What I caution you on, as opposed to focusing on there and coming up with a specific number of nine foot nine, I think most Bible footnotes actually state Goliath's height. And the truth of the matter is, and what what the story portrays, it doesn't matter if Goliath is nine foot nine or six foot nine or anywhere in between on that. This was a sizable man. He was very big, very powerful, and had a lot of strength. Okay. His, just his presence intimidated the Israelite, Israelite soldiers on that. Keep in mind that Saul was described as a tall man. He was a head higher than most other Israelites. That means that it puts him well over, that puts him somewhere over six foot, maybe as high as six, six or higher. And even Saul, as high as, as tall as he was, and as a scout of the man that he was, he was intimidated and afraid of Goliath. So if you focus on the aspects of, you know, looking at, well, no, nine foot nine, there's no other, that, that's it, you're going to miss the other points of the story. So just be very cautious on what you do there. Okay. Now let's talk about the setting. In verse three, we see that each army is occupied on the side of a hill with a valley in between. Okay. That's important in understanding why things aren't happening as, as quick as what they, you think they would at times. Now, you can imagine being on side of the hill that both armies have a very strong defensible position and that any attacking army is going to have difficulty with regards to moving forward from that. They will suffer a high rate of casualties and even maybe even defeat. So both of them are very cautious. Both sides are very cautious on how they want to proceed with the battle. So what did they resort to? As you can see in the verse, starting in verse 10, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So they reverted to taunting, they reverted to intimidation, and they were trying to demoralize the Philistines by sending Goliath out, was trying to demoralize the Israeli army. And it was working, okay? They were, they were terrified and they didn't know what to do uh, from there. Okay. Now, as we continue, as I go into the actual message, I'm going to cover what I call seven lessons. The first three are mere observations from that, taken directly from the text of the Bible, and they're just the fact of establishing a relationship to, to what David gone through in his struggles with Goliath, his fight with Goliath, and what we have, we struggle with today and, and with our problems on there. From there, we progress in the application. So what did David do? About the, you know, the problem that he had there. So as we continue with that, you know, uh, the first lessons we have in there, I'll call problems really resolve themselves. If you take verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. You know, for 40 days this went on. Morning and evening Goliath would come out and taunt the Israelites from there. They, they didn't know what to do. They were hoping he would go away, but obviously, uh, I'm sure for 40 days down the way, after 80 times of doing this, um, it was understood that he wasn't going to go away. And much like our problems today, ignore them doesn't make them better, doesn't make them go away, and they need to be confronted. Now, and then as we continue with that, David arrives on the scene. But understand, why was David there? He wasn't in the army. He wasn't part of Saul's army. He wasn't there from that. But David, as we've talked about, he was a shepherd. And his father, Jesse, sent him on the errand and basically to run some supplies. Take some food to the army. 
tell me what's going on with your brothers and how things are going from that. So as we look at verse starting in 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brother how they were doing. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David shows up to run, basically to follow his father's instructions of delivering food and seeing how his brothers was doing. And without notice, without pre-planning, without anything, he sees what's going on. Uh, from that standpoint, as with our problems, with, with our struggles, they often, uh, I, I say here, problems are not scheduled, they are encountered. You know, we don't have a lot of advance notice when it comes to our struggles, and it's not a lot of things that we can do, in any, and we don't typically plan our problems from that. So that's another aspect of that. Now, as David is assessing the situation, he encounters another problem. And and in this one, starting in verse 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? But with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David responds, Now what have I done? Can I even speak? You know, so... At this point, David's trying to get a handle on the problem of Goliath in front of him and trying to understand what's going on there and immediately encounters another problem, a situation. And the same with the struggles in our life. We're not typically, a lot of times we're not handling, trying to handle one problem at a time. They're coming at us from different angles and a lot of times unexpected sources from there. But to understand what was going on with Eliab here, we got to go back again to chapter 16 and the fact when David was anointed. Understand that David was, a young, David was the youngest of eight. When Samuel came, all eight brothers, all seven of David's older brothers, all eight of them went before Samuel, starting with the oldest, Eliab. In that time, being the eldest son, you had rights that the, the other sons did not have. You had birth rights, and there were things that were there. So that was a big one. Eliab was passed over, and the other, other uh, six brothers were passed over. That was a big deal to take the youngest one. And obviously, that built quite a bit of resentment in his heart towards his own brother and the fact that he felt rightfully if anyone in the family was going to be anointed as king, it should have been him on there. So it's a case of sibling jealousy. But now it even goes deeper than that, because if you read what the text of what's going on there, as David is observing this, and it talks about all how all the Israel soldiers are retreating in fear, his brothers are part of that. So David is observing his own brothers in terms of how they're responding to the, the problem of Goliath out there. So there's some shame, internal shame going on there, and even kind of rubbing Eliab's face in the thing, and so he lashes out at David on that. So... You know, from that standpoint, as I said, problems are multifaceted, that we're, we're typically not dealing with one struggle at a time, that they come at us from all angles. So let's step back and look at the first three lessons that we went over, okay? That problems don't go away by ignoring them. Problems are unscheduled and unplanned. And, and normally when we're dealing with problems, we're dealing with multiple problems at the same time. You know, those are elements of a story 
from 3,000 years ago in David and Goliath. But there are also elements of what we face today in our struggles. So if there are commonalities in what makes up a problem, what makes up a struggle, then there should be some things that we can learn in terms of how David responds to his, his Goliath, his problem on that. And that's what we're going to go into next from there. Now, at this point in the story, uh, Saul gets wind of David being there and calls him over. And it, as I had stated before, Saul basically says, David, you can't fight. You're too young. So David goes in and tries to, and goes in into his mode of persuading Saul to let him fight Goliath. And in verse, starting in verse uh, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued it, the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. You know, this is one of the aspects I think that we overlook in the fact that David actually was better prepared to fight Goliath than what we sometimes recognize. You know, you think about, you think about what it took in terms of fighting a lion and a bear. And we're talking, obviously he had a staff and a slingshot, and you can say, well, okay, the first time he struck them, it may have been from a distance. But when you grab a lion or a bear by its, its hair, you're fighting the hand, direct hand combat there. So David was, if David was a fighter, if he could fight, hand, fight a bear or a lion, he was a fighter and he was prepared to fight. And he had the courage to fight from that. Okay. But it's also important to understand that when David was fighting the lion and the bear, he was doing so because he was protecting the sheep that he had. Okay. He was doing it. He had no idea that it was being, he was being prepared to fight Goliath in the future from there. But then, having done that, I actually helped from that. Now, be careful there, because I'm not saying preparedness is more, is a substitute for faith. Because it's not. You can actually see, you can actually see as David proceeds, and the fact that the faith that he has in God, and that he is, uh, that it's carrying him from that. As I said, David's faith in God gave him the courage to beat obedient action in from, in, in fighting Goliath. And, uh, from there. And David understood that the outcome was not his, but it was determined by God's hand. And he also knew to give God the glory for what was going to be done from that. Unlike Saul, from the standpoint that his, the reason why he was rejected from God because of his disobedience and the fact that it was his ego and self-pride and the fact that he wanted the glory to go to him and not God. And you can see that at this point, you know, he has decided he, he's, as he's persuading you, the various statements that he makes throughout the story. And as he's talking to Saul, he continues, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So he's telling Saul that God will protect and God will, what he knows of God and his faith in God will, will carry him through the battle. As he, as he fights Goliath and as he's approaching Goliath, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day of the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Again, his statement of faith, talking to Goliath and the fact that God will take, God will protect me and God will be part of this on there. And later, he expands his audience. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. 
For the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. So it's not just Goliath that's going to be given into their hands by God's, by God's design, but it's going to be also the Philistines from there. You know, and you can see that the solutions to David's problems come from God, and that our solution uh, comes through God as well through our faith and obedience to him on there. And this is a lesson that David carried with him throughout many years of his life. And had he always, had he always followed what he knew, that his life, the downside or the troubles in his life, he would have been much better off. And you can see the lessons that he carried, even in the Psalms that he wrote later in his life, starting with Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And later in Psalms 146, 3 through 5. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who help, help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. And as I said, when David stuck with what he knew, his life flourished. When he stuck with what was proven to him, it did. But when he ignored, went his own way, when he ignored what he knew and decided he could do it on his own, it's troubles ensued in his life, and if you go through David's life, you can see that. There's a sticking when he's, you know, it's going back to the battle with Goliath and what he had proven. And as, as you know, at this point, he's actually, um, at this point, he's decided to fight. And Saul is trying to equip him with armor and a sword. And he responds to Saul in this way. I cannot go in these things, he said to Saul, because I am not used, I am not used to them. If you look at the King James Version version of the Bible, it says that he had not proved these from that. So he stuck with what, and when he's fighting Goliath, he stuck with what he knew. And what did he know? So he took them off. Then he took the staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch in the shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now, a couple things. One, the sling that we are talking about is not a sling that as a, as a child you made out of a stick and a rubber band. It's not even uh, what Terry Mulder would refer to in one of his communion meditations as a wrist rocket where you hand it, you hold your hand to it and you're supported by your wrist and you've got surgical rubber from there. This is a pouch, a leather pouch on a, two cords. And as you continue to circ- turn that in circular motion, this the impact power, the momentum of that stone increases and increases. And when it comes out of that sling, it, it, when it comes out of that sling, it's got the impact of most, what most handguns have today. And you can talk about the fact of, you know, at David being a marksman with that. Well, how do I know he's a marksman? Okay, I'll extrapolate some more here. Think about it. If you're a shepherd out in the field watching sheep, that probably gets pretty boring at times and probably a good thing. If it didn't, you'd be uh, fighting lions and bears a lot. Okay. Uh, keep in mind, iPhones have not been invented for a few years yet. So, and, and texting by carrier pigeon just didn't have the same impact on that. So you can imagine as David went out in the field, he knew how to play his harp style instrument. So he spent some time playing his, out in the field to pass his time playing the instrument and watching over the sheep. But now you got a teenage boy who's got a slingshot and an endless supply of rocks. You know, so what do you think he was doing out in the field from there? So at this point in life, David knew what that slingshot could do, and he knew how to use it on there. So 
But what I'm getting at is the fact that David was equipped in the manner that God wanted him to be when he fought Goliath. And God will equip us in ways that we may not understand, but it's according to his plans in terms of that. It's not conventional thinking. It's that he didn't go and fight Goliath with sword and spear and armor. But God prepared him. God had a plan for him and equipped and prepared him uh, in ways that, you, you know, unexpected ways. And if you ever think that you're not equipped for something, just go back through the Bible and look through what the story after story after story with regards to how God used people that we would sit there and wonder why he chose them. You can start with Moses. A fugitive in Egypt is used to go back and free his people out of Egypt. You can look at Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers and was a slave for most of his early life but yet rose to be the second command in terms of Egypt. Okay? Think of the disciples that Christ picked when he was here. They weren't the religious, religious leaders. They were fishermen, tax collectors. So if God can use people like that, God can use people that are sent here today, and he has equipped you in the ways that he wants. Now, as a final lesson that I want to go over, never underestimate the impact of our faith and obedience on others. When you sat there and you read, and, and starting the chapter in verse 51, the last half of that, when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath in the gates of Ekron, the strongholds of the Philistines. You had, because of David's actions, because of David's faith and obedience, and his, God gave him victory, and because his faith, and he was observed, you took an army that was in, being cowered on a hill, hiding in defense position. And he, they were emboldened, through David's actions, they were emboldened to surge and to attack. You had an army on the other side that, because of their champion, Goliath, and the fact that, you know, they never dawned on them that he could lose. And they were taunting and they were laughing and mocking the Israelites. Now are fleeing. And so you can see the direct contrast there. Now, in this story, it's easy to see the impact that David's, uh, David's actions had on the others. We don't always see that. But make no doubt about it. When you, when you show acts of faith and obedience in the struggles you have, well, others observe, whether you can observe it in others or not, a lot of our impact, we, will ne- we may never know about it. But you are impacting others. Others are watching in terms of how you handle things. You know, whether it be friends, family on there. You know, they're looking. They're, they're going through many of the same things. And they're looking for what is the way out of this on there. And those of us that are Christians understand, as David understood, that that comes from God. And we're watching. So don't ever doubt that you, that you are impacting others, even though you may not see it. Okay. In closing, I want to step back. Even in, in, and go through what we had. So what did this mean for David? Okay, Goliath, in one aspect, was another lesson of faithful and obedience in preparing David to be king. In the same manner as the lion and the bear prepared David to fight Goliath, this was another step in terms of God using, in terms of, you know, in terms of his demonstration of faith and obedience. You know. And that was, you know, from the standpoint of where Saul ended up, God was not going to have another king or do his, you know, teach faith and obedience to what he could. 
of the fact. Now, David did flounder from that, but in the fact that you could see the faith at this point. So what does that mean from us? Okay, as I mentioned earlier, there are, because whether, whether it's problems or struggles from 3,000 years ago or whether it's today's struggle, there are things that we can learn from there. Under. And there's opportunity to learn from what David did. And hopefully we learned, as I went through here, you learned a little bit about David. We learn about God and hopefully we learned about ourselves. But make no mistakes. You know, I'm not sitting here, I'm not telling you that you follow what David did and everything's going to become up roses in this world, in this life, because it's not. Under. Uh, there are struggles in this life we will continue with. And sometimes we, God will give us deliver them from and other times we will continue to struggle with them. And, you know, when you look at, when you look at some other examples in the Bible, uh, you know, we take the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 from there. And they responded to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve you. You serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. So they understood that God was able to deliver them. They understood the fact, but they also understood the fact that they went in that furnace, that, that, they, that they may not be coming out in that fact. And they were, but still yet they were faith, had faith and obedience to do what was right in the sight of God for that. But we do have, but as Christians, we do have a guarantee. And it's not in this life, it's the next life. And Paul, in his letter, second letter to Timothy, illustrates that. And in Timothy chapter 1, verses, starting with verse 9, last half. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ, Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am, I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed in and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What Paul is saying here is the same testimony that Joe gave last week in his communion meditation. Through faith, he stepped out and accepted the free gift of God, of Jesus Christ, his son, who died on the cross for us, who rose again. The one Goliath that we could not beat, the Goliath of death, that he's already won that victory. And we can win that victory by just reaching out through faith and accepting that from him. And if you are sitting here today and you have questions about what that means, I urge you to... The elders will be standing, folks will be standing at the sides at the conclusion of this. I urge you to talk to them. We'll be able to help you and answer whatever questions you have, guide you through that. Okay. But we're going to change things up a little bit here, and Ben's actually got some things, and he's going to handle the closing prayer. But I'll close with this. I don't perceive prairie view in the same manner as the Israelite soldiers sitting on that hill. They sat there, and they waited for David, through his struggle, through his fight with Goliath, they waited until the victory was there, and then they responded. I don't see preview that way. I don't see the folks stepping on the hills waiting for something to happen before they respond. You know, 
Many of you sitting out there have received letters and notes, whether it be welcome notes or incurred notes of encouragement uh, from that. Many of you have had prayers. It's one thing, it's one thing to be on the prayer list in the bulletin. It's another thing for somebody to come up to you at church and say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for a family. I'm praying for your request on that. It's another thing to sit down. There are many people that sit down and prayed together in terms of the fact that, you know, you're going through struggles and you need help. And we're there from the standpoint of praying with you. Okay. You know, the number of meals, people are taking meals. The number of, you, you can go on and on and on about the things that people, it's not the pastors, it's not the elders, it's not the, it's the people sitting out here in the sanctuary. Those are the ones that are carrying it forward. And they're not, they're not waiting for something, the victory to come and then say, I want to be part of it. They're out there encouraging folks from that. And if you are in need of that, you know, you know, we're not perfect and we understand that. But if you're in need, if you're going through struggles today and you're in need of prayer, you're in need of anything, then that's what we're here for in terms of bringing that forward. Let's pray. Father, what we learn from David here, um, may we apply it to our lives. You know, may we, not only as we prepare uh, for our struggles, but help others prepare for those. Whatever the needs are of the folks that are sent out there, uh, may we be able to uh, help them through it. And we understand that uh, the actual battle, uh, sometimes you got to fight on your own. But, uh, Father, we can encourage those folks and we can help them in ways and support them in ways uh, that the Israelites didn't do with David. And, Father, we just thank you for this church, and we thank you that we have brothers and sisters, and we thank you we have a place to come and learn these things one from another. In Christ's name, amen.